This is the O'Reilly Bots Podcast. I'm John Bruner. And I'm Pete Skamrock. Our guest today is Brad Abrams. He's a product manager at Google who works on the Assistant. Now, this is Google's really interesting uh, new AI-driven sort of metabot or service that's pervasive throughout a lot of Google products. And it's, it's really great to have you on, Brad. Well, thanks a lot. I'm really glad to be here. I'd love to start with maybe... Um, you know, a, a description from you about how Assistant fits into everything, because this is a, you know, something it's, it's been really interesting to watch Assistant um, emerge. Google has had a few kind of AI driven uh, yep. bot like products before Google Now, for instance, um, and, and uh, you know, a couple of other things, the way that you can like search for photos in Google Photos. But this seems to be a new kind of really integrated uh, service that ties into a lot of other Google services. Yeah. Um, so we think about the Google Assistant as being a conversational interface with Google that helps you get things done in your world. So it's conversational. So, you know, traditionally working with Google searches, I noticed people have created their own dialects, you know, mm -hmm. like cheap SF eats now, <laughs> what, you know, to, to search uh, for things. And with the Google Assistant, we wanted to provide a more human, natural language interface for working with Google. Hmm. So it's conversational and it's about getting things done. So we want to, this notion of actions is important. We want to help you accomplish things like a real life assistant lets you do, like tell me about my day or hmm. uh, book a Uber or, you know, book a table at a restaurant or a million other things that I want to do. And of course it's, it's personal. So it's, it's kind of, um, to help you get things done and the assistant um, knows about you. And so like you can say for like, as I mentioned, what's what's on my schedule for today? What do I have? Like it's connected with your calendar so we can help you in that way. Yeah, Brad. Um, so that's really interesting. When Google announced uh, it was really diving into this space, uh, it was it was following um, a larger push into AI. Um, and so it's, it's, there's been a, a series of articles over the, the last couple months about almo almost kind of like a rebirth inside Google where everything is moving towards artificial intelligence. And it always seemed like, you know, that, that was at the beginning of Google, right? It's one of the few companies that really started with algorithms at the core, um, and at least in terms of consumer internet companies. And it's always seemed like that's been a, been a, been a passion at Google. So I think for other folks out there, uh, you know, there's other, there's Amazon uh, Echo and, and a set of assistant actions uh, or skills uh, is what Amazon calls them. And you have Siri has been around for a while and all these other players. What, what do you think, um, what do you, what do you think will be different with Google's take on this space? Yeah, I, I think you're right. I mean, Google has is a very computer science driven company. And if things can be solved with algorithms, often I think we do well at that. I mean, it's kind of how we think about the world. How can we apply the, the principles of computer science? And I think we've reached this point recently in the evolution of machine learning where uh, it's possible, like we're right at the edge around possible to do actual kind of uh, computer to human communication patterns. And mm -hmm. I think that has really inspired a lot of creativity within Google about what we can do 
to provide a new interface. Uh, you know, a few years ago, we were talking about mobile first and mobile computing, and now it is, we are moving to a model of more of a uh, AI first and conversational first kind of experiences. Well, one of the really interesting things about Assistant uh, that you must have thought a great deal about uh, in the you know initial kind of ideation and development process is that compared to the other uh, services that Pete just mentioned, which tend to live in in one medium predominantly. So right. uh, Alexa uh, lives in a, a voice uh, medium through the Amazon Echo almost exclusively. Uh, Siri is is exclusively a um, a bot that lives on a mobile device screen, though it also has some yeah. voice aspects. Um, Assistant lives in you know mobile devices messaging applications and the Google Home which is one of these speaker interfaces without a screen. So what did what did that yeah. involve? I mean that that's an incredible amount of planning uh and, yeah. and thinking yeah. it must have gone into that multimodality. Yeah, we did we we really uh spent a lot of time thinking about how best to serve users' needs and if you kind of start at with the users at the center, you realize, you know, my daily life I may start out at my house where I can, you know, while I'm making breakfast, I can just ask what my day is and have Google Home respond to that. So we have the Google Assistant at home, you know, on my commute in on the on the bus or subway or whatever, I can use um, Google Assistant in my pocket uh, and with a slightly different modality, be able to continue that conversation with that same assistant. Mm -hmm. um, and then if I'm planning some event with some people, you know, my wife and friends, like we can do that over a messaging app like Allo and kind of work together kind of in a group setting. And that has been a great experience to see how Google can bring together and put kind of a common experience across all these surfaces. And it's taken, I mean, it's really been a Google-wide effort uh, to be able to make mm -hmm. all this happen. There's not kind of a single team responsible for that because it touches so much of what Google is. Yeah, there was something really interesting around identity that I've noticed with the Google Assistant. Uh, and specifically, like the last few years before uh, the current wave of uh, uh, smart assistants, there was a big push on social. Uh, and so with Google Plus, it felt like everything was tying together identity across, you know, YouTube and across Gmail and, and uh, Google Plus, all, the, all these platforms within Google. And when assistants started rolling out, the, what really got me to use it, I noticed was the little Google Plus icon when I was in Gmail is lighting up and I would go look to see what's going on. And it was Google Photos, the assistant in Google Photos sending a message or when I open up Allo, the Google Assistant can have me have something there. So I guess two, two questions. So how, how important do you think that is for these um, assistants to take off versus standalone products? Uh, piggybacking on John's question. And then I guess another one is, uh, do you see Google making those conduits available to bot developers as well for notifications. Yeah, and you know, if we think about users at the center, you know, the, there may be different sort of products from Google that users use, um, but they're still the same user, right? Like it's still me uh, that uses Gmail or Google Photos or Calendar or whatnot. And so being able to have a single surface and a single UI that bring those, those things together, I think is really important and kind of a deliberate choice. And then in terms of how third parties uh, can can get involved in that, uh, 
I mean, we definitely want, there's more to my life than, than just the things in, at, at, at Google, you know, I use a lot of other services. So, so again, being user focused, we have to figure out a way uh, to make that possible. But we do have to make sure it's clear to users always, you know, what information they're sharing, make sure there's, you know, who's involved and make sure there's really clear distinctions uh, when you're starting starting to talk to a, a third party here, when that third party wants to access information about you, there's very clear uh, indications to the user that now they're sharing that information. Do you foresee at some point third party developers being able to implement um, actions, which are what you, you're calling sort of bots uh, on this platform. And we'll get to that in a sec. But do you, do you foresee third-party developers being able to implement um, actions across all the different sort of modes and places where Assistant lives? So say, yeah. say Uber wants to have an action that lets you call an Uber car from the Google Home or from the mobile device, which makes total sense. Maybe they want to have something in photos as well. That's like, hey, do you want to have an? You're looking at these old photos. Right. Do you want to have an Uber car <laughs> take way, you, you to this place? <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, so I mean, we we do. Um, you know, we're starting very early with the with the platform, and we we started on home, the Google Assistant on home, on purpose to 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 start with a smaller environment so we can go and learn and figure things out. The our aspiration is to take the platform everywhere the assistant is. So. You know, we'll see how that looks and evolves as we move forward, as we get feedback from users and from developers to see uh, what, what makes sense. So let's let's talk about those actions um, for a second. This is, uh, you, you all announced on December 8th, right, the availability mm-hmm. of, uh, of actions, which are uh, kind of, it, it's an API for, for Assistant, right, that lets developers right. come in and create plugins, essentially, in the same way that, uh, that you have Alexa skills or, um, right. you know, some of the some of the APIs available to uh, developers in Siri now that let you kind of take actions and, and send them to bots. So explain how that framework works uh, for Assistant. Yeah, I mean, maybe it, it makes sense to start with the user experience. Um, you know, when, when you use one of these actions, you can, you know, a user can say, for example, OK, Google, talk to SongPop. Uh, and mm-hmm. then we'll we'll recognize at that point when you're when you're saying talk to Songpop that you want to invoke one of these third parties and and the um, and we'll find that action and start it up and and then we'll play a sound. So it, uh, I had to learn these this terminology. So there's an ear con. So just like you have icon on the desktop, <laughs> you have an ear con. So a distinctive sound. Um, and then we introduce the agent. Uh, you know, uh, our assistant says, "Sure, hear song pop." And then song pop comes in in a different voice. Uh, and so there's a variety. There's uh, four different voices: two female and two male voices huh. that uh, developers can go and choose. Uh, but it is a distinctive voice that comes in, and they can start uh, talking and engaging in a two-way conversation with you. In the case of Song Pop, it's uh, give you a quiz to see if you know your '80s dance music or or whatnot. Um, <laughs> and it can play audio and whatnot. Uh, and then when the conversation ends, kind of the reverse happens. There's an exit, ear con, and then you're back talking to the to the Google Assistant. So, uh, and 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 what sort of access points are available to uh, to developers? Yeah. So the so the, the the way it works for developers building these things from a from a developer point of view is that they we have an SDK. 
mm -hmm. uh, with a set of APIs that they can they go implement. And it's uh, like many of the bot platforms, you define a webhook essentially. So an HTTP endpoint that can respond to a JSON document. So we pass uh, JSON to you like, this is what the developer, uh, I'm sorry, this is what the user said. Uh, so we take the audio and turn it into text. So we do, um, uh, speech to text on it, but we give you the whole text string. So you're able to do your own intent uh, par parsing on that and, and figure out kind of whatever you want to do to handle that. Mm -hmm. and, and of course, we provide tools like API to AI that makes that amazingly easy to talk about. Um, and then uh, you return back a JSON document that tells us what to say to the user, as I said, including like SSML so we can play audio and I I have a question around the uh, voice translation. So having played with some of the other platforms, uh, it's still very much early days. So they have baked in whatever um, whatever voice recognition tech they have. And you get back as a developer what they recognize the, uh, you know, the audio is saying, um, which can be hard if those models are trained you know, on English speakers or if they're trained uh, for like generic vocabulary versus you know, I don't know if you're in a, in a hospital, maybe it's very jargon rich medical terminology, right? So how is that an area that you're you're thinking about? Are there any special abilities in Google to handle that? Yeah, I mean, obviously, we have a ton of data from years of Google search queries. Um, and and so so right now, we've only launched in English. So as we launch in other languages, we'll, we'll apply that. So generally, it's very good. But as you said, there are some cases where you know, you know that it's going to be one of these 100 terms. And so we can do speech biasing on that. So there's a model in the SDK. So but both statically and dynamically, you can say, look, the next thing the user says is very likely to be one of these phrases. Mm -hmm. So um, if you give us that, then we'll speech bias towards those mm -hmm. items. I mean, it doesn't guarantee that it will be an, an exact match to one of those, but so, and that's only a, a hundred terms right now, but, or, oh, I mean, yeah, I don't know. The, the limits are quite large. Okay. okay. So, so you could upload your own domain specific. If you have a medical uh, ontology or dictionary that, you know, people are going to be using, you could, you could maybe link that uh, to the assistant. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And, and, and like with API to AI, uh, for example, it does that by default. If you create an entity in API to AI and populate that with a thousand, items or whatever um, will automatically just do speech biasing on those. Um, and then if you're, and if you want to do it kind of completely on your own or whatever, yeah, there's APIs and whatever to do that. Will, will it be multilingual uh, for a single user? So an interesting edge case with, um, with Echo currently is if you ask it, you know, how do I say hello in Japanese, right? It, it, it can't handle that. It'll send it to your phone as a, as a web result. You know, instead yeah, of yeah, so we are definitely still working on the international multi-language story. So today, it's really it's English only. Yeah. Okay. Uh, speaking of voice spread, I noticed this really interesting uh, feature in Allo, which is one of the venues that the assistant um, mm -hmm. works in, and and you know is a different project from what you work on. But the uh, in addition to the native voice to text feature on on a lot of phones, where you hit like a microphone and and you speak and it types it in. Mm -hmm. um, Allo also has like a direct, I would guess, web-based voice-to-text service. So you can hit a microphone directly in the app and just speak into it and a transcript comes back. So it sort of suggests that maybe part of the Google strategy here is to encourage more people to do the voice-to-text 
in the cloud where uh, developers would have better access to the to the process. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely, we do that that speech to text in the cloud, and we can take advantage of lots of compute cycles there. Yeah, and it's interesting. With some, I, I'm not 100 familiar with that interface, but with many of these interfaces, you can actually see Google changing our minds about what we think. You know, <laughs> as you say more words, uh-huh. oh, that's what you meant, and it starts switching them around. So it's it's yeah. yeah. Uh, it's pretty cool to see the the model apply there. Yeah, it's one of my favorite features of of speech to text um, on my Android phone is watching that sort of uh, follow on correction process happen as it gathers more context. I would guess that there's a first pass where it's doing speech to text locally on the device, and it's also uploading to the cloud and getting context and so on, and then coming back. And so, especially when you start using proper nouns. Right, it it completely right. screws them up initially, and then half a second later, uh, it corrects them, and then half a second after that, it corrects them properly. Because you're you're probably you know yeah, if you're if you're yeah, saying yeah, like the yeah. name of a local restaurant or something like that, even the second transcription is incorrect, but then the third one is totally right because you've said yeah, yeah. you know meet me at um, Petit Cren in San Francisco, and it's got oh San Francisco, here's where John's phone is. So then right, it, right. then it, it figures out how to spell that. Yeah, 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 yeah. exactly. So you, you, you've acquired API.ai and uh, it seems fairly straightforward to, you know, get up and running to build a simple, you know, like a hello world um, action. What does it entail? Uh, so, so is the idea you, you, build, you build an action just like you would for uh, text and then that will automatically work in voice? Is there anything special developers have to do? Yeah, I mean, I do think the voice modality is different, and it is, you know, when when you you have to be a lot more conscious of the information you're providing to users to know like what to say next um, and manage the microphone state. Like, are we? Am, am I listening now for the user to say something? And have I actually given them enough prompting, enough idea of what sorts of things they can say? So we, we've seen a number of companies come that have existing, you know, bots and other platforms and then kind of bring those into the voice world. And it does take a little bit of work to kind of think about what the user model is there for kind of voice only. But I find the simplifications that that forces often makes the experience better even on chat, like the tightening up the language and making kind of expectations clear on what the what the agent can do. Yeah, so you you have a conversation design guide. I, I noticed that it looks kind of interesting. Yeah, yeah. So we um, we have a number of um, VUI uh, voice user interface uh, design uh, guidelines. And some of those, you know, really are about, you know, make sure you pick the right voice. You know, like who, it, it, but by that I mean, like, what is the persona of the, of your bot, like who are you trying to be, uh, and and a lot for a lot of companies, that's the that's the brand. That's you know mm-hmm. who, who are you, and there's you know picking the actual voice that comes across and how it sounds, and we've actually designed the different voices to hit kind of maybe slightly different use cases, so huh. you can go and listen to the different voices and see kind of how they might reflect your brand. That that feels like it would be really important. I, one thing I've noticed with um with Echo, it could be hard to distinguish what app you're actually talking to and what's going on and and actually having a different voice in a conversational voice setting makes a lot of sense. That's Right, that's right. Not only is it different from 
the Google voice, but mm-hmm. it's also different from other voices. You know, there's some yeah. that maybe fit better if you're a game and some mm-hmm. that fit better, you know, if you're a news experience. Um, I, I can imagine, you know, booking a flight with Virgin and talking to Richard Branson. Right? Yeah, that would be great. <laughs> and, and you can, I mean, that is the next level up with SSML support. You can just have fully recorded audio, mm-hmm. um, which which is a, a really good experience. So for example, in, in one of our launch partners is Headspace. That's the meditation mm-hmm. app, and it does a really nice job at that recorded audio, and you you can tell, you know, it's really on point for them, on brand for them. Yeah, there's plenty of content where it's completely feasible to just pre-record all the audio, and and you're just switching between it. So yeah. you you mentioned that you've got two male and two female voices. Is there kind of a, yeah. a guideline as to when to use a male voice or when to use a female voice? Well, not so much male or female, but uh, again, I'm not a, necessarily a voice expert here, but we we do see um some of these as you know better for games and some of them better if you're like a educational app but really it's up to the brand and uh, on the website there you can go and actually play each play sample clips from each one and get a feeling for what your you know how it matches your brand and what you're trying to do it makes me think of uh in the subway in new york has two announcers in in the automated uh you know announcement system that they have on the newer trains there's a there's a male voice and a female voice and the the design thinking that went into it probably 15 years ago when they started introducing those trains was that people would be more receptive to information from a female voice and to direction from a male voice. So so the the announcements are divided up and it's a male voice that says, stand clear of the closing doors, please. And it's a female voice that says, this is an uptown six train skipping 59th street or whatever. So it's, I I don't know if that's, um, you know, still kind of a, a, a state of the art design instinct um, that it strikes me that that's actually a little old. It's, it sounds better than uh, in SF Muni, we get loud garbled static is <laughs> the place. <laughs> to their credit, those are completely intelligible announcements. I'm, I'm always amazed that they made that system work as well as, uh, as, well as it does. So Brad, uh, it's interesting. So there's four available voices uh, to choose from for developers uh, currently. There's also some interesting R&D work John and I have talked about before coming from Google, um, specifically from DeepMind around, uh, I think it's called WaveNet. Uh, so similar to the work recently from uh, many folks in deep learning of applying uh, style transfer to paintings, right? So you can take a picture and it will be, you know, uh, you'll get an Instagram style filter that will make your photo look like it was painted by Van Gogh, right? Mm -hmm. So there's there's similar work around doing that for audio. So you can map, um, you can say something and it will say something in Richard Branson's voice, for example, (laughs) right? Um, So is that something, do you see that as maybe like the future of you record a few snippets of your voice and then your bot on Google Home could talk to customers in, in that voice? Yeah, yeah. WaveNet is very exciting research going on there. And I think... I mean, we're still super early. We need, we need it to get to real time. Uh, and right now it takes, I think it's 10 X, uh, off real time. So, but you know, there's nothing that's preventing it. It's just, just more engineering works, more research to get there. Um, but yeah, I think there's a lot we can, a lot we can do to give developers even more control. I mean, four, four voices is great, but having even more 
more control would be even better. And that is the kind of stuff that's on the roadmap. So are you hearing, are, what a kind of interesting requests are you hearing from developers? So since you opened this up on, on the 8th, what's like, what are some of the most common questions or requests you get? Yeah, I mean, I think developers are still very early and and kicking the tires. So certainly going to other form factors like the phone and Allo and and whatnot have been um, big requests. You know, more more guidance and um, tools to help people build these conversational interfaces. I think that's new to a lot of people. So um, that has come up. Uh, one of the big ones that really surprised me, actually, this is kind of why I do this product management job is to be surprised by developers. <laughs> um, but the the number of uh, people that requested the ability to build these actions that only work in their account or on huh. their device uh, surprised me. Mm-hmm. Um, just hobbyists, basically, that want to do something fun. And, and we have a very interesting model where, as a developer, you can test on your Google Home, uh, on your device, but it's for a testing period. It's it's not really set up for, for long periods of time. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one that we're, that we're looking at, how we can enable that. So right now, if you build an app, it, it deploys out to everyone? Yeah, so the way it works is... You build your app, and we have a, a web-based simulator that you can run and get a sense for it. Uh, when, when you simulate it, it also works on any uh, Google Home that you're signed into. You can try it out there. Uh, so that's the development time. And then you uh, deploy it. And when you deploy it, it goes through a review process uh, at Google. Um, and then once it passes that process, then you see it show up in the directory and anybody with a Google Home can access it. And interestingly, you can access it with, with without, you know, there's nothing to install. Like you just don't have to install anything. They don't have to enable anything. They just start talking to your new action. So have you seen any um, apps yet or, or the beginning of, of any apps? Because, you know, you just we're, we're recording this episode just uh, 11 days after the platform was announced. So maybe, right, maybe right. you're not at this point yet. But have, have you right. seen any indications yet of really effective um, actions that span a couple of different of venues of the sort that we were talking about earlier, like an action that's uh, available in Google Home and in Allo or something like that and balances those very effectively? Um, Well, so the platform is only available on Google Home today as we we record this. So, um, you know, in the future, we're going to make it available in other places and I'm sure we'll see that. And we have some first party experience with things working in multiple places. The um, I'm Feeling Lucky Quiz Show, for example, I don't know mm-hmm. if you had a chance to play that, but that works very well on Google Home as kind of a group thing. And then it works nicely on your phone as well. So to invoke these uh, third party actions, it seems similar to Echo where, you know, you ask on Echo the, the third party skill. So with Google, it's uh, talk you know, talk to Uber or mm-hmm. something. But there's also uh, a notion of you have a generalized request and then it delegates to one of these third-party bots without it, you explicitly asking. You know, so this gets back to the discovery question, right? It, right. If you don't know that skill exists, that's something Google, uh, the Google Assistant can help mediate and, and route you to. So can you say a little bit more about how that works? Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, you're exactly right. The the first model, the talk to model, there's a few grammars like that that will 
uh, invoke the action. If you know the brand, that works really well. Like if you want to get to, let's let's talk about Headspace meditation. If you're a user of, of Headspace like that, that makes sense. But you may not be, uh, and you may just want, you know, okay, Google, I want to meditate. And so what we have, so we're, we're very, very early in discovery. As you can imagine, discovery is something that's really uh, important to Google. It's kind of core to what Google search does. So it's something that we're investing a lot in, uh, but we're very early. And, and so the, the early baby step we have available right now for developers is they can register with a set of phrases that they want to be triggered for. So for example, Headspace, I believe they register for, I want to meditate. So hmm. if you just say to your Google Home today, okay, Google, I want to meditate, then it will say something like, sure, I can help you with that. Try saying, talk to Headspace meditation. Mm -hmm. So um, those, are, those are called uh, invocation triggers? Yeah, discovery phrases. Okay. Are you seeing any signs of uh, discovery phrase squatting? <laughs> Yeah, so this is something we look for in the review process uh -huh. a little bit, but ultimately we think we'll be able to uh, do the right level of ranking uh, on that. So, 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 so just to be clear with the discovery <laughs> phrases, like you, John, your meditation app that I understand you're working on in your spare time there um, could also register for I want to meditate. Um, and then Google uses you know, ranking signals to determine for any particular person and time and place what the right one to uh, recommend is. Got it. So it's explicitly not susceptible to squatting in the same way that some of these other uh, platforms are, where you have like a name of a, a plugin right. and you're invoking it directly. Right. Yeah. I mean, we the, the, for discovery in particular, which is where ultimately over the long term, ultimately, we expect most of the invocations to be. Mm -hmm. uh, we're, I, I, yes, that's ranking. Um, we do you, you know, right now with the talk to invocation name that is unique. So we want to make sure those talk to invocation name phrases um, can you can get to that that one. So, so invocation name is a bit more like a domain name, and then right. these discovery phrases. This is this feels like AdWords, right? So yeah, you yeah. can uh, start uh, putting in a bunch of uh, phrases that you you want, you hope to rank for, but not you won't necessarily rank for. Yeah, right. how do you right. how do you uh, rank in Assistant where you don't have like with PageRank, you know, the the inbound links that you're ranking on. Well, but we do have, we, we have lots of signals within product signals as well as outside of the product. So, mm -hmm. you know, within the product, we know how many people, you know, once we have recommended uh, an action actually take us up and, oh, that, you know, Headspace meditation, that is who I wanted. Mm -hmm. And then w once they've started using Headspace, are they a repeat user of it? Do they come back to it? Mm -hmm. uh, how many turns of the dialogue do they have with it? Does it, does it work well? Um, so, we also have prosaic things like, is it up right now? Like, does it like, work? <laughs> right, um, right. So you're able to evaluate then, quality in a handful of different We're ways. able to do some level of evaluation of quality. And then um, you can also associate your website. Mm -hmm. uh, so when you register your action with us in the console, you can say, oh, yeah, and, and, and this is my website. Mm -hmm. And we know we obviously have some sense of how well that website would rank for a similar query. Mm -hmm. And we can give a sense for Interesting. What, what triggers there. Yeah, that's a, a, a matter that a lot of people are going to be confronting in the next 
year or two, right? Kind of the, the disco- right. as, as part of the discovery of bots in an environment where you don't have these conventional ways of ranking results like right. you do on the web. But again, we're we're really, really early in this conversation right, right. And, and what we can do with, with discovery. So will it be more – one of the other things that's more difficult with a voice interface like in the Google Home uh, versus uh, text or the web is, is limited real estate, right? So in mobile, yeah. it really shrunk down from what you'd have in a web browser. And now with voice, you're, it's essentially like – feeling lucky, right? So do you, right, do right. you give back one result when I say I want to, I want a car to the airport or do you give back three choices? How does that work? Yeah. So, um, we're working on a number of different models today. We give, we give back one, uh, in the future, we're gonna, uh, give back a couple. I mean, I think there's a very limited number we can't give 10 blue links, like, uh, mm-hmm. but we think we're doing some user studies on it. We think we can give, um, two, maybe three. So, and then we can see like, okay, if we give these two, this one typically wins. And we give these two, this one typically wins. So we can set up some, mm-hmm. uh, some experiments like that to give us a, a better sense for what the higher quality actions will be. Let, let's say I ask an informational query, right? And Google decides, you know, let's say for example, I don't know, sports scores or something, and I ask what it is, and let's say Google natively doesn't have that built into its mm-hmm. intelligence mm-hmm. or knowledge graph, but you have these informational services that you can get it from. Like, do you, do you just? It, it feels cumbersome to the user to have to have a whole dialogue to get approval to get that back. So, like, is there a way right. to just like usher that right to the user and then decorate it and say from yeah. you know Sid Sports Scores or something? In, yeah, you're talking yeah. about Pete in the way that uh, kind of the 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 information cards show up in ordinary Google search. Yeah, so that definitely there's a lot of models here that we're exploring, and I think at, you know we as you mentioned we're like uh, 10, 11 days into this <laughs> platform being there. As we get more data, we'll know we'll know like you know we're actually really confident that you wanted MLB. This is the MLB. Uh, th- let's just give you that directly. And and not only that, let's deep link you into it. So mm-hmm. you don't go through all the hell. Well, you just wanted the, you know, some stats from last night's game and we can just put you right into the, to that action at the right place. So I think the model is kind of set up for that now, but we haven't wired it all in. If you think about how compelling that, kind of information extraction, structured representation um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. offering is. It's like pretty compelling on the web when you're sitting on uh, on, on your desktop, when you're sitting on your desktop and, and in your browser. And then it becomes really compelling in mobile because uh, the space constraints are much greater. You can't present as much information on the screen. And then if you kind of like extrapolate out right, to, even... to how, how things work <laughs> in bots, you know, oh my God, this is like, uh, you know, yeah. the way that we're going to do stuff in bots, right? Yeah. What what time is the bus coming? I don't care. I don't want to install a skill to go. <laughs> you know, go right, 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 right. So it sounds like, you know, um, Assistant is is on its way to becoming what we've been calling sort of a God bot. Something that's dispatching queries to a bunch of, you know, third-party services that have either registered explicitly to provide that kind of service as as an action, or maybe that um, that just, you know, provide information on the web and that Google's able to to scrape and and structure. Yeah, I mean, 
as we've been talking about, discovery is really important. Um, and, and if you get back to our mission to uh, be a conversational interface to help you get things done, like you need, there's a lot of things you need to get done that Google doesn't have first party offerings for. Mm -hmm. So helping to connect you to those services that can help you get things done, we think is a really important service the assistant should be offering. So um, you mentioned API.ai a little earlier. Uh, Google acquired API in uh, in kind of the, the fall, right? Uh, mm -hmm. Maybe September. Uh, tell us a little bit about what your plans are for, for API.ai. Where is it fitting in with all of this stuff? Yeah, we, we were really excited to have API.ai um, join us, join the Google Assistant effort, um, because they they have done a great job of making conversational interfaces uh, approachable for people to build you know that you don't have to have a machine learning expert on staff to go build a a kind of reasonably conversant agent mm -hmm. uh and so i mean certainly we see it being important as as we want there to be hundreds of thousands of these actions out there, giving developers a way to be productive at, at building really high quality ones is important. But we also think about it from a developer's point of view, as, as important as the assistant is to me, probably as a developer, I want to target other surfaces as well. Mm -hmm. I mean, I probably want to reach my users wherever they are, if they're, if that's in Slack or in Facebook Messenger or in Kick or wherever it, it is. One of the things we really liked about API Today is it already had great support for that mm -hmm. and industry recognition for being able to support these other channels. Uh, and so that's something we we definitely want to make sure continues um, because we think that just gets the highest quality experiences. So are, are you planning to keep uh, API.ai, you know, as a standalone branded uh, offering or will it become eventually kind of a, a Google Cloud uh, offering maybe? You know, the plans are definitely to make it to, to keep it standalone, to keep it as a standalone brand. Um, I mean, we think it has a good brand mm -hmm. name already as it, as it stands. Um, we have heard from many enterprise customers that they would like uh, paid offerings and they would like enterprise level support and they would like, you know, a lot of the things that come with, 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 with enterprise products like the cloud platform. Mm -hmm. So it is a conversation we're having. How can we make, you know, a version of it or the same thing kind of available in more of an enterprise grade um, solution? Sure. And I mean, it, it resembles uh, also what Facebook has done since acquiring wit.ai a little earlier, which is a, a similar service. And uh, Facebook has kept it independent. Plus the, mm -hmm. the sort of, yeah, agnosticism is part of the uh, is part of the core offering at API.ai, as you just described. Right. It's something that can publish to a bunch of different platforms. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, what what are we looking at in the future? What what's on your roadmap for Assistant? Well, I mean, we've touched uh, on a number of the things, so we get, I guess we're we must be pointed the right direction. Um, <laughs> the the multiple surfaces, I think, is is really interesting to think about. Uh, we talked about the Pixel phone. You know, bringing the platform to to Pixel is important, um, and Allo, uh, and then you know, everywhere there are Google surfaces. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, and 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 we also talked about a number of things around discoverability. I think we're just starting on that uh, on that model. So there's a lot of things. What about uh, like workplace? So I mean, for a good chunk of our time, we're we're in the workplace. 
Um, mm-hmm. And some of the examples you mentioned, like, you know, uh, of it knowing what's going on today, that brings to mind immediately, like your your work identity or your work calendar. So if I'm using Google yeah. Apps, um, you know, I have a personal Gmail account, and then my office is also on on G Suite. So is that that seems like an obvious connection down the road? Yeah, I don't have anything specific on that right now, but yeah. And and you mentioned the uh, the Pixel phone as a special place that uh, where Assistant lives. Can you describe uh, briefly how Assistant lives in Pixel and how it's different from the way you would invoke Assistant on an ordinary uh, Android phone? With the Assistant on Pixel, we think about the Assistant being in your pocket and being with you everywhere you go. There's a, a button that you can press on the Pixel phone that brings you into the Assistant right away. There's uh, good hot, hot wording support in there. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of uh, built deeply into that experience. Got it. Yeah, it's it's uh, kind of advertised as a, as a core part of Pixel. And my understanding is that it uh, it, it is sort of more available in Pixel than on sort of stock Android. Is that right? Well, what what we have in stock Android today is voice search, so mm-hmm. which is super powerful. And we, we have lots and lots of users of people searching via a voice query. But the assistant today, you know, the, this experience that we've been talking about is really only available in Pixel right now. I mean, while it's available on Pixel today, it is extending to other surfaces in the future. Got it. Got it. So, Brad, uh, one other question uh, related to the future of the Google Assistant. You know, Google started with search, and that's still obviously uh, mm-hmm. you know the main the main function and and what people associate Google with. So, do you see the advancements you're making with Google Assistant and Voice feeding back into the search experience? Will the Google Assistant, you know, understand what I'm searching for and inform our conversations and vice versa? Yeah, you know, we're still so early with the assistant and figuring out what the what the models are. So I think it's too early to you know to figure out how 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 best to serve users' needs in the in in directly in search. I, I think uh, we're so early uh, could sort of be like the subtitle for this episode. <laughs> as, as right. a, yeah, totally. A, as we, are, a, we are definitely early, but yeah. you know, I think it's really important even at the super early stage that we involve developers mm-hmm. in the evolution process. Yeah. Because I think we, you know, we're already getting such good feedback around things that we should do. You know, I mentioned with the with the actions that are only available to to a small group or to just one person. I mean, it's so clear that third parties have influenced what's happening with Google search. And that's obviously been really successful. We feel like we, ha- even though we're, you know, as you said, we're very early, we need to involve developers in that. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I think we're very early could be the subtitle for the entire field of bots. I mean, and this is <laughs> yeah, that's true what, I, what I always that's true you know, explain to people. Um, as bots become uh, more visible, we're getting right to that place where more and more people have like heard about bots and tried one bot, and then it happened to be the wrong bot, and they come out and they're right. like, man, bots are dumb. So um, right. I find myself saying it's so early a lot. <laughs> and right, uh, right, as, right. as listeners of the podcast know, I mean, I, I started out as uh, much more of a skeptic with respect to bots than I am now. I think Pete and I still try to be uh, skeptical more than a lot of the people in the field, just to to be good <laughs> right, right. good to conversation it, leaders. Real. Yeah, 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 well, yeah. Well, I have to say though, uh, we did re- we reviewed Allo uh, in an earlier podcast, and we were pretty impressed. So it does it, it's clear that people fo- uh, over at Google are, are listening uh, to developers mm-hmm. and to these mm-hmm. early experiences. 
experiences. And one, one other thing I think uh, I thought was interesting to t- tie some of what we've talked about together, like I, I, it almost feels like the assistant is a third party um, on the Google platform itself because you access it like uh, like another bot, right? At least in like mm-hmm. um, Allo, right? Which I find really interesting. And the other thing that's interesting in using the Allo app is that it's a persistent conversation, right? So a lot right. of other bot interactions, it feels like you talk to them and then they forget immediately. It's more like memento, right? You know, we're, right, right. We have no memory. So that, I, I like that. Uh, that's just my positive feedback. <laughs> yeah, that's good. That's good. And and I hope, you know, you'll get a chance to experience the assistant in Google Home where it is the experience. You know, there mm-hmm. is no other interaction with Home other than the assistant. And and on on Pixel, it is, it is a qualitatively different experience than it is in, in Allo. As you said, in Allo, it's kind of a just another other bot uh, within Allo, and you can, and, and with Allo, it's great to have these group conversations. Um, and in in Pixel, there is there is something different about the experience there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I'll give you an excuse to go expense a Pixel phone. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're gonna get all the devices. What else? It's also on a watch, or um, I think it's just Pixel and uh, Home today. Okay, yeah. I mean, you can imagine, you know, we're make the assistant available everywhere, but but those are the those are the ones that are available right now. And any right? plans to make the assistant uh, available as a service to outside developers to implement through third party hardware? Um, yeah, so we're definitely uh, that's definitely been a request we've heard from developers, and we're we're figuring out, like especially thinking about hobbyists, kind of tinkerers. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. That would be great. That would be a sensational set of Raspberry Pi projects. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But the question is exactly. always whether sensational Raspberry Pi projects turn into commercial, uh, you know, devices. Yeah. Yeah. Well, very cool. This is this is a fantastic discussion and um an assistant is a really interesting model as I mentioned, something that uh, that goes across a lot of different um media and uh, and is unique in that aspect and also unique in kind of the scale of the machine learning behind it. So, Brad Abrams if listeners want to find you and maybe get started uh, at, at looking at how to develop for Assistant, where should they look? Yeah, you can find out all the information on the Assistant at uh, developers.google.com slash actions. Um, it's the actions on Google platform there. And from there, you can find our, our Google Plus group where there's kind of lively, active conversations. Um, and then you can feel free to connect with me. Uh, I, I'm on Twitter. Uh, so I'm Brad A. Cool. Well, thank you so much, Brad. It's really been a pleasure. Great. Thank you. Really appreciate the podcast. I've enjoyed listening to it. That's always awesome to hear. Yeah. Thanks, Brad. Awesome. Thank you. Bye-bye. If you enjoy listening to the O'Reilly Bots podcast as much as Pete and I enjoy making it, please consider leaving us a review. Visit iTunes or SoundCloud or Google Play or Stitcher, wherever it is that you listen to the Bots podcast, and let us know what you think of it. Also, reach out on Twitter. Pete and I are available there, and we'd love to know what you're thinking about bots. And finally, remember to send in a proposal for the O'Reilly AI conference. That's our next conference with a lot of bot-related programming. Use the link in the show notes for this episode, or just Google O'Reilly AI Conference. The call for proposals ends January 18th. We'd love to see you there. For the O'Reilly Bots Podcast, I'm John Bruner. And I'm Pete Skamarag. 